but you will remember what I'm going to teach you and what I've been trying to teach you. This is the third week, the third part of the series. And you'll remember this if you'll write down these points. If you take a moment and write it out, all of a sudden it sticks in your head. So I want to finish this truth in the Bible in Colossians chapter 3 on mortifying the old me. Thank you, Brother Dan. All right. <clears throat> Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer? <clears throat> Father, I need your help. I ask that you would bless just this awesome study tonight. I wish there were a thousand people here because honestly, this is where we live. This is what, what we struggle with. We struggle with ourselves. We struggle with the, the old us. And uh, God, I'm glad for the new man. I'm glad for what you gave us through Christ, God. And, and as we walk in the Spirit, <clears throat> we can enjoy that person, that power, the presence of, uh, of God in our life. Rarely do we enjoy that and experience that because we're too busy being dominated and being defeated by the old me. And I pray, God, we would understand how just to put it away, just to mortify the old me, and that it is an ongoing thing that we, we can do and we must do if we're going to enjoy and be able to be thrilled at the presence of the Lord in our lives, God. I pray that you just make it very clear. Help me to be very simple and very clear tonight. Um, so I pray for the Holy Spirit now to teach, and not me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, I like to review and review and review and review because it's the most important part of, of teaching. Uh, as I've said each time, you would think that once you got born again, you'd never want to sin again. You'd never want to say a bad word again. You'd never want to go against God. Again, and yet we do. As a matter of fact, the fact uh, our our sinning, we don't have to think about it. It just comes naturally to us. We just we just do it. Um, and uh, so so when 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 a person, even though they're saved for years, when a person finds themselves struggling with a sin, and often it is a new sin. It may not be a sin that they struggled with before they got saved, but they still, all of a sudden, there's something that just begins to take over their life, and they say, I must not be saved, or, oh man, I, I must be so backslid. I want you to understand, what you're dealing with is an attack of Satan. You're dealing with a new temptation that this world has created. I don't know what is going on in the minds of 15 years old today. How they can stay sane. When I was 15 years old, the level of temptation that I had, the level of temptation you had, was nothing compared to a 15-year-old boy or girl today. So temptation coming at them, temptation coming at you and me, is always new and is always crazy. It's always grieving when you're aware of it, folks. Uh, temptation and sin just comes naturally to us. So what do we do with our old nature? This nature that, like Metal to a magnet just seems to give in. Well, the Bible says simply a word, mortify. Mortify it. If you look in your Bible, in Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, in verse 5 is where we get our word from. Colossians 3 and verse 5 says mortify. That's And if you circle that word, that is our key word. It is a definite Bible word. We need to learn how to do that. Now, again, 
Look in verses 1 to 5 and see the background of that verse. In verse 5, it says, If then, if ye then be risen with Christ, that's resurrected, you've been born again, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. That's where he begins. He says, Make sure your attention and your affection is on where Christ is and, and on things in heaven. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, ye shall also appear with him in glory. So he, he just starts off and he says, listen, your life is there, and if anything, the, the most important event in your life is not going to heaven, it's the fact that you'll be coming back, and you'll be coming back with him. Verse 5, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. And he lists them. He says fornication uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So God calls the believers to do an extraordinary thing, all right? To do an extraordinary thing. Uh, and that is to mortify our old, natural ways of living, our bad habits, our stubbornness, so that we can replace it with a new way of living. Sin is in how many people? Every one of us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 7 says, one of the most faithful, the most zealous Christians who ever lived, the Apostle Paul says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. Sin is in me. So, uh, I, I want to say this. Now, you're on, on your thing, it'll ask you some questions there. What is, what is our old nature? I'm going to get to that in a second, I guess. Uh, and But number D, let me answer number D for you. I don't know how I didn't actually make it in the right order. I thought I had it in the right order, but Christians can mortify. If he says do it, what can you, what can you say? Then we can. If he says do it, if he says love your neighbor, then you can. So Christians can mortify, yes, our old nature. But let's talk about the meaning of of the flesh, and the meaning of the old nature. Um, uh, I'm trying to race here uh, and, and make sure that, that uh, I have all the information there on your sheet. I'm not sure if I have it. The meaning of the flesh is the old you. It's called the old man. Look at chapter 3, verse 9. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Now, if somebody's... If somebody's nine years old and they just got saved, what does a nine-year-old have with that new nature? An old nature, called an old man. Now, old doesn't have to mean old as an age. What does old mean here? Sorry? Past? That's a good word. Previous? Okay. Um, anybody else want to figure out why, why, does it, why does the Bible use the term old man, old nature? Why does it do that? Okay, it actually does connect all the way back to Adam. So it is a nature that everybody has had since Adam. Exactly. So another way of, if, let's just say it this way, it was your first nature. It was your first nature. Now how many of you had a first nature when you were born, when you were born the first time, a first nature, to just cry, right? Uh, that was your first nature, to just, you, you, you'd eat and then you'd throw it up. You would uh, 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 mess 
in your nappy, so on and so forth. That was your old nature. Hopefully, you've gotten that under control, okay? But that was your first nature, all right? So meaning, when the Bible talks about the flesh, it's talking about what I look at, you, okay? Everything that is about you, the, the, um, uh, uh, the physical you, it is what you do without thinking, all right? I'll tell you how to check what you do without thinking, all right? Number one, accidentally, try and accidentally stub your toe and see what you do. <laughs> how you react without thinking is what you really are. It's your normal ways of doing things. You get in the car and you get into the traffic and what do you do? That is the old you, okay? It is the culture that we live in. Hey, we're surrounded by people who have the old nature, the Adamic nature. And so you wonder, why is everybody like that? Because that's who we are. And so when you inventory yourself and you check yourself, everything in your heart that's not like Christ is the old you. That simple? So everything's not like Christ is you. And that's called the old man. Let's talk about the meaning of mortifying. All right? When we talk about what does it mean to mortify, uh, now it, it, when we again, I say this, people, when they say, I'm mortified, it just means that they were humiliated. They feel like they could die out of embarrassment. But the Bible means to actually starve something, to actually let something die. If it won't die, it is to put it to death. Now, Nita and I have a tree on the side of our, on the, on the front of our house. It is some sort of a, a palm tree. It's not a palm tree, but it doesn't look like it belongs in Ireland. It's one of these trees that you think grows coconuts on it. Okay, there are no coconuts, but I don't know, whatever the thing is. We have, we have killed that thing, dug it up, and it still comes back. <laughs> and Nita says, we got to get rid of that thing again. To mortify, I actually, we tried to get rid of it. And it's very practical because that's like an old nature in me. I've got to go dig it up, pour poison down on it again, and get it to die. That's what it means to mortify. And then when it does die, you've got to bury it, which means you've got to put it out of sight. You can't be bringing stuff up of your past. You know what the devil loves to do with your past? What does he love to do with your past? Somebody tell me. Bring it up. He loves, he loves you to go into a memory zone. He loves somebody. Well, the worst thing that can happen to your life is from somebody, for somebody from your old past to ring you up and say, hey, let's go for a drink. Hey, let's meet up. Now, if you were, if you were single and you were dating somebody from years ago and now that you're married, if that old flame phones you up, how things, how would things go? Not too good, especially if you entertain that. No. Things in the past need to be starved. If they won't die, they need to be killed. And once they're dead, they need to be buried and out of the way and never brought up again. Even though the devil may bring it up, even though things come up, you got to go, I'm not going there. That's what it means to mortify. And that's how you deal with the old you. Uh, now, you can only do it. Go to Romans. Hold it in your place there to Colossians. Go to Romans chapter 8. I'm rushing. I've already taught these stuff, so I'm not actually teaching at this point. I'm just reminding you. But um, uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 13 says these words. 
For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall what? All right, so if you do whatever your flesh wants you to do, what's going to happen to you? You're going to die, okay? But if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the, of the body, ye shall live. So the key here is we're going to talk about mortifying. You're not going to mortify through sheer willpower or won't power. I don't know why they even call it willpower. It's kind of funny. You go into the, you go into the supermarket, and there's a section with food, and then you go to another section that says health food. And you go, what was that food? <laughs> Isn't that a funny thing? All right? So, so we, 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 there, there, are, there are, I don't know why they call it willpower when it's a won't that I want. Amen? So uh, you can't do it through willpower or willpower. You do it through the Spirit. And it is part of this thing called reckoning ourselves to be dead, which I'm going to talk about a little bit more tonight. There's one more thing that we're going to uh, point out, and that is the, mean of, the meaning of putting off. Go back to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. So sometimes the Bible, okay, uses multiple words, uses different words for the same thing. Now that may be confusing to you, but the Bible sometimes will say mortify. Another times it'll use the word reckon. Another time it will use the words put off. Now each time that those words are being used, he's not making up new words. It's different words so that you get a fuller, bigger meaning for the one great truth. They all basically mean the same thing. But look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, mortify therefore. Holding on there, jump down there. Verse 8, but now ye also, what's the next two words? Put off all these. So instead of saying mortify, he uses different words. So that you go, oh, this is helping me. Good, good, good. To put off means to ignore or to throw away the dead things in your life is like pruning. There are things in your life you can't change. There are things in your life that are the old you, okay? And maybe you can't, uh, I'll tell you this, there's one thing you can't change. You ready? Your past. Amen? And you can't cut it off and separate it from you. It is part of your history. It's part of who you are. That's part of your testimony. I once was lost but now I'm found. You can't get rid of that, but you can't ignore it. Are you listening? When, when we put off something, it's, I don't care what I used to be. I know what I am and what I'm going to be. And that's far more important. But it sometimes means, to put off means to actually get something out of your life that is draining you and pulling you down. Sometimes it's a toxic person, like a friend or somebody, maybe an uncle or somebody in your life that just every time you're around them, they pull you down or they, they introduce you to sin. A lot of people, the first drink they got, they got from a family member, didn't they? You know, the best thing that ever happened to you was when they moved out and they were gone. So to put off means pruning, but it also means to not yield. So in, in, the, you know, in the old days, a telephone would ring and you'd go, we're not going to answer that because we know who it was, okay? And we'd let the phone ring and ring and ring. To put off means I'm not answering. I'm putting them off. I'm keeping them distant. I'm ignoring them, all right? And Romans chapter 6 talks about yield not your members to sin anymore. 
when sin comes knocking, when temptation begins to call and begins to try to get your attention, you ignore them. You put them off. You put them on the long finger, we would say. That is part of a mental decision that you make with all your heart. Let's, um, let's put all this together and let's see if we can now get to our main message because there are five things we need to do to actually bury and put away the old me. Now, I'm going to say this. Can I say it this? You'll bury him, and then tomorrow, guess where he is? He's back up there messing with your life. You say, why is that? It's one of those questions you're going to have to ask God. I can't answer. All I know is, that's the Bible word for it. Did you know there are people, I'm going to, I'm going to say this, because I like to contrast. Sometimes we understand a truth by its, by its opposite. There are people who believe that the moment they got saved, they would never sin again. And it's called sinless perfectionism, if you want to have a fancy word. They, they believe in sinless perfection. Let me tell you what's wrong with that. It's not true. Okay? And no matter who you've met, they still sin. They still, um, uh, they still do all kinds of sins, and they lie. Even the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, says, uh, uh, verse, uh, verse 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we lie, and the truth is not in us. So we can't say, I stop sinning. So when I mortify this thing, and I poison it, I strangle it, I get rid of it, and I walk away, next thing I know, he's back up again. Why? Because sin is in you. And even though you, you struggle and you claim a victory over it, the devil has another button to push. He has some other way to activate that sin in you. Name me a sin that is in everybody. Mark chapter 7 says, it's not what comes into the mouth that defiles you, it's what comes out of the heart. So what is already in everyone? Give me a list. Give me something. Say again. Anger is in us. Pride is in us. What else? Laziness is in us. All right, Jesus gave a list of about 12 Big sins, lust, fornication, covetousness, all that sin. So I get, I get myself where I'm content. The devil says, I'll bring it out again. I'll get it out again. I've got it where my anger is. I'm not angry anymore. I'm at peace. I love everybody. Believe me, the devil's going to reactivate that anger. So when it comes to anger coming up, when it comes to fornication coming up, the devil knows what button to push. You've got to know how to kill it again. All right, so here we go. Number one, are you ready? Go to Romans chapter 8. We've got to start there. We already read there, but I want to go back. Let's just read it again. The first thing that's got to be done is you've got to yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. Romans 8, 13 says, If ye live after the flesh. Look at that word. Why does he use the word live? Living after the flesh. Why is it using that word? Because it's how you live. He's talking about what you, what you do moment by moment. It's not a one-time act. It's the fact you do it all the time. And if you live, if you live yielding to the flesh, what will happen? Ye shall die. All right. So somebody who lives following after girls, lives 
following after uh, the, the disco and following after um, uh, even, even prosperity or popularity. If you live following after something of this world, following after what your flesh likes, what will it do to you? It'll kill you. All right. So it's a way of life. So how do I stop doing this? I yield to a different way of life. I yield, look what he says, verse, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now again, the mortify means I want to go this way. I want, I want to go, not me, but I'm giving you an illustration. I want to go to the disco. I want to be with my friends. I want to have all that fun. But if by the power of the Holy Spirit, I ignore that, I resist that, and I ask for the Holy Spirit to give me something else to do and to change my desire. By doing that, all of a sudden, which way will I live? By faith. This is a choice. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not stopping the sin. I'm wanting to do right. And by faith, I'm letting the Holy Spirit help me do what is right. And by faith, through the Spirit, all of a sudden, I start living a different way. This is where faith comes in, where I'm obeying God. Christ, now, mortifying is impossible. Let me give you the truth, all right? If I said, Dan, I need you to mortify your members on earth. You know what it's like? It's like asking him to cut off his right arm. Because it's part of him to want to sin. It'd be like asking, Kevin, now stop breathing. He doesn't want to stop breathing. That's, that's how he's always lived. So you can't tell somebody, stop smoking. You can't tell somebody, stop watching that program. What they've got to do is say, I've got to stop this. I don't know how. So they pray and they say, God, I'm asking through the Holy Spirit that you, and I'm going to go ahead and get ahead of myself, that you help me to hate what I'm doing. And love whatever you give me in its place. And that's going to be the biggest illustration that I can give you. By the way, let me tell you, Christ is not asking you to kill yourself when he talks about mortifying the members on earth. He's not asking you to harm yourself. He's asking you to harm or to kill off or to strangle anything in your life that is the old you. Anything that is the sinful part of you needs to be dead. So, let me say it this way. As I said, mortifying is impossible, but yielding is easy. Yielding is just trusting God to handle things his way. Now, it's like a child. A child wants to go down a certain aisle because that's where all the cereals are, or that's where all the candy is, or that's where all the toys is. But mommy says, no, you're staying with me. And so, now when you're a child... The grip is on mom holding on to you. But I hope you know that you're not a child. And when the Holy Spirit goes this way in your life and takes you to another aisle, you're going to have to hold off. Your flesh may want to go, may want to watch, may want to do, but you say the Holy Spirit's going another direction. All right, all I do is I yield. I'll just follow the Holy Spirit. You did that when you came to church tonight. Okay? You just said, I need to be at church. Amen? That's, that's not saying, I don't want to sin. No, you said, I yield to what I should do. That gave you a victory. So, what is the one thing blocking permanent change in your lives? 
stubborn, selfish pride that says, I don't want to do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I want to do what I want to do. And that's the biggest problem in my life. That's the biggest problem, I think, will be in your life. Because the thing, the Holy Spirit, can the Holy Spirit change anybody? Yes or no? I heard a half a whisper. Can the Holy Spirit change anybody? Did you know when God made the universe, he said, let there be a universe. However he said it, he created the heaven and the earth, but he started off with the earth void, empty. And then guess who moved in and began to fashion and manufacture the most beautiful planet in the universe? The Holy Spirit did. It said, God said, let there be light. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep, on the face of the waters, and the Holy Spirit was busy fashioning and creating. Look what he can do. If he can take an empty, void, black, deserted, worthless hunk of rock and water and make it into a living, breathing planet, what could he do with your life? What could he do? So, What is it that's stopping? Is it the devil stopping you from changing? Is it the devil stopping you from walking in the Spirit? It's me. It's you. It is us. What is it that stops us? Our stubborn pride. So the first thing we do is yield to the work of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit... How does the Holy Spirit work? Somebody tell me. It's not on your notes there, but think about it. How does the Holy Spirit work in your life? Tony. He is always a still, small voice. So he's hard to hear. Now, when you're in the military, and that sergeant announced that the admiral was coming on board or the captain was on board, everybody heard it, right? Okay? When when you were in the Navy, I said Army, when you're in the Navy, uh, when when, um, uh, the battle, you didn't go into a battle, but anyway, the drill. (laughs) When the drill was engaged, There were alarms, people were yelling. But when the Holy Spirit works, he doesn't scream, he doesn't blow alarms, he speaks in a still, small voice. So it is very important for us to have quiet time. If you don't have that quiet time with you and the Bible and prayer, you're not going to learn to walk in the Spirit, you're not going to learn to yield to the Spirit, you're not going to... And when you come to church, the best thing to do when you're at church is listen. Not to the voice of the preacher, the voice of the Holy Spirit as he's preaching, as you're looking at the Bible, and all of a sudden, even whatever the pastor's saying, all of a sudden, wow, I never saw that. And, 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 and the Holy Spirit will speak to you. So, yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Secondly, reckon yourself already dead. Reckon yourself already dead. There, Back there in Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, and verse 3 and 4, he says, for ye will be dead. Is that what it says? You already are dead. Now, Paul is talking to Christians, and he says, hey, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Why? For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life now, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. How many are going to the grave? How many are going to the grave? How many in here are going into the grave? Not one of you, if you're saved. The body's going, but you ain't. 
That makes sense? Look what he says. When Christ comes back, guess who's coming with him? We're coming with him. So the moment we bury your rotting body, sorry I had to say it that way, in the grave, we're not burying you, we're only burying a shell. All right, so God says, hey, don't wait until that moment before you realize you're dead. You need to reckon, which means understand and believe that you're already dead. You believe Jesus died on the cross, don't you? You believe that's a true fact? You believe he rose again from the grave three days later? You believe that, don't you? You believe heaven and hell are true, don't you? Anybody? Amen. If you can believe those things that the Bible said, even though you haven't seen them, then you can believe that you're dead. You can believe I'm dead, and my life is hid with Christ in God. Now, that's what's called a conundrum. I'm dead, but I'm alive. <laughs> go to Galatians chapter 2. You're in Galatians. Go back a few pages. Go to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Now, the new Bibles, guess what the new Bibles do with these verses? They put them all in the past. Can't do that. Can't do that because it's not true, only in the past. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. What do the new Bible say? I have been crucified with Christ. That ruins the doctrine. Look at what he says. I am crucified with Christ. That implies he's dead. Nevertheless, I live. Oh, he's alive. Yet not I. Wait, it's not you anymore. But Christ liveth in me. That's the new man. And the life which I now live in this flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that cool? I love conundrums. I love things that only the Bible can, 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 can exp not just explain, but can present. And you just sit and you ponder it for about 30 years. Reckon yourself to be dead. Now, let me say it this way. Are you dead? No. Let me see if I can. But as far as God's concerned, you are. Go to Ephesians. Go to the back. Find Ephesians. Go back a few pages. I mean, a little bit more from Colossians. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's see. Brother Dennis, I'm going to ask you a strange question. Where are you right now as far as God is concerned? Where are you right now? Okay, you're kind of, you're halfway there, you're right, but that doesn't, that doesn't tell me where, okay, you're in Christ, but where, Nita? Ooh, yeah, look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be God, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings, where? In heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now I'm looking for it where he says it again, uh, chapter two, uh, chapter two, six. Yes, there we are. Chapter two and verse six. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. So as far as God's concerned, where is Bill right now? You're with God. See, as far as God's concerned, the moment you got saved, it was a done deal. That's why we believe in what's called eternal security. You're already home as far as he's concerned. 
eat. Uh, there's just some time delay before you arrive at where God already has you. Is that is that is that mind bending or what? Who needs drugs to stretch the brain? Okay. So what am I telling you? When you start to reckon the truths of the Bible as more real than your old man, than your past, than your struggles, when you start to reckon those to be true, you've moved out of being under the condemnation and other under this dominion of this world. You are free and you ha- you are alive in Christ, and all that old stuff of you is dead. As far as God's concerned, you're already dead and buried. The fact that you come up to heaven one day, the Lord's not going to go and go, I didn't expect you. <laughs> as far as he's concerned, because you're in Christ and Christ is in heaven, you're already there. So believe four things. Number one, that you are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. You believe that. I'm dead. I'm alive. But as far as God's concerned, I died. Secondly, you died on that cross when you fled to Christ and got born again. I am crucified with Christ. You weren't that way before you got saved. You were under the wrath of God. You were under the condemnation of God. But when you got saved, you you got nailed to the cross. Your sins and every every list of sin, the ordinances that were against you, all died on that cross. So you died. Thirdly, here's your third fill-in. All your sins have been forgiven already. Go back to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. You, there he goes again, being dead in your sins, that's how you were before you were saved, and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, all sins, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, uh, uh, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. All of our sins have been forgiven. So what am I believing? What am I reckoning? I'm dead. I actually died when I got saved. At least the old me. All my sins have been forgiven, and I'm living now a new life. Go, go look at verse, verse 1 of chapter 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, you should be seeking those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So set your affection on things not on the earth, uh, and then verse 4, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. I've got a new life. I hope you do too. It was given to you the moment you got saved. Jesus, I was teaching the kids about the woman at the well, and she came looking for water, and she left her water pot. Anybody know why? Why did she leave her water pot? She got a drink of the water in her life, and it was much better. And there was, it was, now she would be thirsty later on, but she ran, she said, come meet a man, come see a man who knows me and yet loves me. I got a gift from him, you can get it too. And all those men, well not all of them, but uh, all the men from Samaria came to him and many of them believed and they got eternal life. So you ought to be now living a new life. Reckon it to be true. I am saved. If you're saved, if any man be in Christ... He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. i got to reckon I'm living a different life. I made that choice when I got saved. At 17 years old, I didn't understand any of this. 
But I remember the pastor saying something about, you're different now. He just said that. You're not the old you anymore. I came up to, I remember telling the pastor, I got saved on a Sunday night, and uh, but I wasn't at church. So the next, I think, I don't think I came Wednesday. I think I came the next Sunday morning. I went right up to the pastor and I said, uh, Brother Jack, I got saved. He says, that's good. You're different now. I still had hair to hear. I still lived in the same house. I still drove the same old car. I still wore the same clothes. But he said, that's good. You're different now. And then he walked away and got ready for preaching. But it stuck with me. I said, I guess I am. And, you know, as a young 17-year-old, as a young Christian, I wasn't saved one week. But that truth helped me. You know what I need to tell every one of you? You're different now. Reckon it to be true. Third, mortify the following things. Now, this is very important. These are the first things you're going to have to start. All right? Watch it. There in chapter 3, verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. And then he lists, not fingers and toes, but he lists sins. He says things that are in us. He says, mortify five things. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, fornication, these five activities that we naturally do have to die, okay? They're going to have to be left to starve, all right? You ready? Fornication. Now, we say fornication is all sex outside of marriage, and that's true. But it is, let me just say this, fornication is the intimate knowledge of information that you should not know about other people than your wife or your husband. It is intimate knowledge, fornication. That's why guys with guys, girls with girls, uh, guys living together, guy and girls living together, out of marriage, all that stuff, is you're discovering and you're participating in something that is that is not for you to know, not for you to experience. It is fornication. And he says... It must die. He says, secondly, uncleanness. Now that's, we basically mean, we basically understand uncleanness as unclean thoughts, but it also is unclean actions. This is where smoking needs to die. I remember when Ken Hovind gives his testimony, he tells when he got saved, the very day he got saved, he looked at his cigarettes and he says, I'm not picking you up again. And he never did. I believe the moment you get saved, it is the easiest to put down sinful habits. The longer you wait after you got saved to try and put away sinful habits, the harder it's going to be. But uncleanness is smoking, swearing, bad language. It's you wallowing in a filthy way of life, and you need to put it away. Inordinate affection. Inordinate means out of the ordinary or wrong affections. That's when you just love the wrong things. That's got to stop. Somebody says, I didn't like the way I was born. I didn't like the way that I was born a man. Okay? So I want to be a woman. I saw somebody say this. They said, if you don't like the way you were born, try getting born again. <laughs> I thought that was good. Quit changing genders and all this kind of stuff. Inordinate affection, what, what, and I wish, uh, I wish we could deal with our modern ailments and our problems today. There's so much that you'd have to deal with but when people 
claim to be transgender and when people claim to be homosexual and in love with people of the same sex and all this stuff, let me tell you this, what the problem is, they don't like themselves. And they've, they've found what they think is love in, in, a, in, a, in a way that is inordinate, it is wrong, it is ungodly, but it's working for them. Other ways didn't seem to work. Let me tell you this. What they're looking for is what they'll never find. As a matter of fact, people who are homosexual, people who are transgender, are the angriest people on the planet. They're the most unhappy. They don't know love. They only know lust. And their lust for girls didn't satisfy, so they turn to lust for guys. Or they flip it. Let me tell you, they don't love themselves. They've never known love. So that has to die in you. If you say, I wish my husband loved me. Oh, I wish my wife loved me. Oh, and I, I, I love this or I love that. Check what you're loving. Inordinate affection is how you feel, but it can be wrong. Evil concupiscence is just another way of saying lusts. It is, it is concupiscence. You hear the word cupid. It's, it's evil sweet love. Can I say it that way? It's wonderful love, but it is with the wrong thing or for the wrong reason. Many a person has gotten into an adulterous relationship and been the happiest ever. That's evil concupiscence. It's evil sweet love. And it's wrong because it's outside of marriage. Does that make sense? Okay, that has to die. One of the things, covetousness. And I call it the most modern sin because that's where we live. We live with a constant dissatisfaction with who we are and what we have, and it's idolatry. Now, what God says is we have to mortify those things. We cannot ignore those things in your life. What I'm going to say is this. If there's anybody in this room that has a problem with anger, you ready? You got a problem with anger. Anybody's got a problem, get out of my life. <laughs> if anybody's got a problem with laziness, if anybody's got any other problems, you know where the problem needs to be traced back? you probably have a problem with one of those five. The first sins that have to be dealt with before you can deal with the second set of sins, which is lying. Until you, want, until you look back and you say, you know what? I am unhappy with where God has me. I'm unhappy with who God has me with. I'm unhappy with who I am. Until you deal with covetousness, you'll never get rid of your anger. You'll never get rid of your laziness or your lying or any, what we call, secondary sins. These are the big five. You say, I don't have inordinate affection. I bet you don't. I bet you don't. There's some people who can't love their wife because all they do is they love their hobby or they love their buddies. And they say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. Uh, when you have that kind of imbalance, that's called an inordinate affection. And until you get your love right, until you get your thoughts right, until you get your habits right, you'll never have victory over secondary sins, the sins that you probably, everybody in this room probably has a problem with. I'll talk about those sins in just a moment. Um, now, when you mortify, you're making a choice. Look at chapter 3 and verse 7. Chapter 3 and verse 7 says this, in the which, in these five things, Paul is talking to Christians, and he says, in those things, in the which, ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. Now, what's he saying? 
Is he saying, is he talking to a group of people saying, you are walking right now, living in fornication? Is he saying that? No, what is he saying about their fornication, their uncleanness, their ordinate affection, their evil concupiscence, their covetousness? What is he saying about it? You used to. Now, one of the, when you mortify these things, you are determined to put them down, like putting a dog down, and putting them, uh, putting them, uh, putting them out of your life, burying them. And these five things have to become a, a, uh, a part of your past that is never brought up again. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Uh, where's my verse? It's not there. It's not there. I'm looking for the verse that says, um, oh, here we are, Ephesians chapter 5. Go back to the left, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3. Chapter 5, verse 3. Kevin, would you read that? shouldn't even be part of our life. No Christian should have any of those things. No Christian should be living outside of marriage with somebody. No Christian should be struggling with dirty thoughts. No Christian should be having love of the wrong things and wrong kinds of people. They shouldn't even be named, which means it shouldn't occur among us. It should be part of our past. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us that is our first priority. Most of us probably have a, 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 a level of... of uh, patience, and then we get angry. So, boy, I wish God would get rid of my anger. Let me tell you this. Before you can deal with anger, you've got to deal with those five things, and you've got to take them head on, and you've got to say, I've got to put them in the past. End of story. Mortify these things. Um, uh, let me go on. and maybe you'll, maybe you'll figure out these things. I'll tell you about why in just a minute. Then you work on or mortify the harder things. I'm going to say this. These are harder to fix than pornography. Things are, these are harder to fix than lust. These are harder things to fix than an unclean mind that just thinks and imagines evil. Look at Colossians, back to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 8. But now... Verse 7, he says, In the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off all these. So you put off fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness. Verse, verse 8 says, Put off these as well. Let's look at the list. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds. All right. These are the things we still hold on to after our salvation. You know, the moment you got saved, you didn't get rid of your anger. You didn't get rid of wrath. I bet you still got some wrath that you could let out tonight. <laughs> I bet you've got uh, some filthy communication out of your mouth. Now, we don't normally think of blasphemy. I'll try and de de define that in just a moment. But these are things that have 
that, that are harder to kill off. Okay? Um, the reason being why we have a harder time with, um, uh, let's see, pull it off, why anger is harder to pull off and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy communication and even lies. Do you know why those are harder to put off? Are you ready? Because they're all reactions to hurt. They are all reactions to things not going like you want. After you got saved, you know, when I first got saved, Brother Kevin, I thought everybody wanted to get saved. I actually went to school, and I sat down, and it took a couple of weeks, but somebody says, you need to go and tell your friends to get saved. And here's some gospel leaflets. And I remember taking those gospel leaflets, and I remember taking them to school, sit down at lunch, and I said, here, boys, read this, just like it was for me. That's your ticket out of hell. <laughs> you know what they all did? And threw it right back at me. What happened there? Well, it, it shocked me. I thought everybody... I remember uh, taking... Uh, I had one of these... How many know what a... How, you were old enough. You know what a Walkman cassette player is, don't you? Anybody in here? You know what those are? I had a Walkman cassette, cassette tape, and I changed Metallica, or Def Leppard, in for another set of music. Now, I didn't know it was just as bad. It was called Second Chapter of Acts and Amy Grant and all these things. I got a whole new set of tapes, and I said, here, guys, listen to this. And he listened to it, and they went, Craig's listening to Christian music and all this stuff. It shocked me that they didn't want what I had. Now, that was okay. They really didn't persecute me. But what if they had started to put pressure on me? What if they had started to really make my life miserable? I would have gotten angry at them. I would have turned in, if they had flattened my tires, or if they had burned my car, let's just put real down there, I would have gotten full of wrath. I would have schemed, as a new Christian, how to get them back. Amen? So all of these things are reactions to being hurt, and all Christians get hurt. Pornography is not a reaction to somebody hurting you. Pornography is a selfish, self-centered drive to satisfy me outside of God's provision. Um, uh, uncleanness is, is my satisfaction in my head uh, with filthy thoughts, with, with things that are just wicked because I like it. It's all, all those first sins are the old me in charge. And when I got saved, that old me should have died. Would you agree? And every time it sticks up his head, I say, you're dead, sucker. I don't want you around. And it should be, no matter how hard you may think it is, it should be easy now that you're saved. Let me say that again. After you're saved, it should be easy to hate pornography. It should be easy to hate wicked thoughts going through your head. You can't stop them showing up, but you can hate them. But these things, somebody hurts you, I don't care how saved you are. You know what happened when Paul? Paul was sitting there one day before, there in Acts chapter 21 or 22, Paul was standing there, and he's got the Pharisees, he's got the Sadducees, he's got the high priest over there, and and um, uh, they're they're going at it, and uh, the high priest sends the soldier over to go and wham slams Paul across the face. You know what Paul did? Looked right at him and said, 
God's going to slam you, whited sepulcher, you tombstone, you old man, you dead man. Paul flared back at the high priest. And then he lied about it. Because <laughs> the guy came up and says, you're talking to the high priest? Like He knew exactly who he was talking to. He grew up with him. And the man said, you're talking to the high priest? I didn't know he was the high priest. He lied. Wait a minute. <gasps> Lie not one to another? He lied because he was hurt and he reacted and now he's embarrassed. Nobody in this room has ever been that way, have you? Of course you have. Of course you have. Blasphemy. Blasphemy is to do something that you know brings dishonor to God. Maybe you blaspheme with your mouth or you can blaspheme with your life. And when you get to where somebody's hurt you and you don't care what anybody else thinks, you're going to go give them a piece of your mind. You're blaspheming God. Amen? All right. You've got to put off all those things. How do you do it? Like that. Just like you want to go strangle that guy who just hurt you, you've got to strangle your wrath. You've got to strangle your, your anger, your malice, your blasphemy. That's why he says put it off. He's using another word for mortify. Now, um, uh, mm, mm, mm. fight against anger. Now, what, 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 what's going to happen is when, you, when you've got an angry moment, you need and you say, I don't want to be angry. I tell you, your willpower or your won't power to not be angry is worthless. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get angry. Don't, don't push me. <laughs> You're going to explode. So what do you do? You replace that angry moment with a right moment. Look in verse 10. He says, and have put on. What was the verse? What did the verse say in verse 8? Put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lying out what's on another. Verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him, after the image of Jesus, that created him, where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision. Doesn't matter who you are, barbarian or Scythian, you don't have to be smart or dumb, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, look what he says, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. Keep, keep watching there. Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering forbearing one another, putting up with one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Verse 14 says, And above all these things, put on what? Charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Now, another place, the Bible says, Charity shall cover a multitude of... All right, so what he says when he hits charity, he says, and if there's any other sin that needs to be covered, cover it with charity, with love. So at salvation, you put on a whole new life. You put on, you, you, you put off fornication and, and uncleanness and all those other things. You've got to put on a new life. Every time the devil triggers anger in you, you need to put something else on. Let's see what they are. You put on bowels of mercy. Where's your bowel? Where's your bowel? Not a bowl. Where's your bowel? That's your stomach. Now, I don't know if anybody in this room has ever felt empathy. Where do you feel empathy? 
down there. Um, in Papua New Guinea, I have, a, I have a friend who's a missionary in Papua New Guinea, and he says this, it's very hard to convince the New Guineans that you, you believe God with all your heart because they don't feel anything up here. But they feel something that, So they say, well, you love God with all your, and then they use, with all your gut. <laughs> but it's because they know what it's like to feel with their gut. I've been in the hospital, and I go in there, and this person's all bandaged up and blood, blood everywhere, and I just feel like, I want to go throw up. There's empathy there. And when you feel like anger, you have to replace that anger with bowels of, and the fill-in there is mercies. He says also, you got to put on kindness. I'm going to show you where this thing fits. Then he lists after that, humbleness of mind, which is meekness or quietness. It is long we need We need to put on long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another, and charity. We put on these six or seven things, seven things. I've got to replace all of those other sins with these things. Uh, and by the way, you have to do this every day. Wouldn't you wish it would be nice if you could just say, boom, I did it, and I'm done. I don't have to do it again. I wish that were true, but guess what? The only thing that's a done deal, one-time event, was your first birth and your second birth. Everything else is a battle and a day-by-day endeavor. So, let me show you a chart. Along the left side, you see all the sins, whether they're fornication, uncleanness, in order of affection, evil, concupiscence, covetousness, all these things. That's the old man. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. That's just a small list of what is not like Christ. Now over here is what is like Christ. I want, I want to get rid of fornication. So for me to abstain from these things, Ephesians says, let it not be once named among you. When I confess and I forsake them, I plead the blood and I say, God, I, I've, got, I've got a, a, a battle going on in my heart. There's, there's this lust. There's this thing that I, that I can't control. So I plead the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. That's a good place to begin. Then I replace all of them. Fornication is an intimate knowledge of somebody you shouldn't have. You ought to have a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.10 says this. Let me read it there again. It says, You put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. To know Jesus Christ was Paul's greatest goal. So if you, as intimately, you want to know somebody that's not your wife, gentlemen, or as intimately as you want to know a man that's not your husband, you ought to know Jesus Christ. You ought to know his likes, his dislikes. You ought to know what makes him happy and what grieves him. You ought to know what he's doing, what, what, what is his plan. You ought to know Jesus Christ. Paul says the greatest thing for me is to know him. So to replace fornication, I, I get to know Jesus Christ. The more I learn about him, the less I'm impressed with people. Amen. I replace unclean thinking where inside is all unclean, I walk in the Spirit. You want to not walk in the flesh? Then you walk in the Spirit. Um, where, I, where there's a battle going on with unclean thoughts, I say, Lord, I'm going to quiet my mind. I want to hear your thoughts. And that's where singing spiritual songs and hymns comes in and makes a big difference. Then these three things, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is loving things, How do I re- what do I replace it with? 
It's a love of things above. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So I love better things. I decide, well, I don't have a house. I mean, Dan and Kathy, you moved here, and you owned your house in the States, didn't you? And I remember when Dan came home one day, and he'd gone to Ulster Bank. I don't know, did you go to a couple of different banks? No. Just went to Ulster Bank. You know what they told him? He couldn't buy a house. He was too old. Don't tell Eric. <laughs> Says, can't buy a house. They came home, and I could just, I could just feel for him. I said, he can't even. He, he sold his house. He can afford it. He's going to live forever. Come on, these guys. But they told him no. And I'm using it as an illustration saying, what if he loved having a house so much he could have killed him? But instead, I think he's looking forward to his mansion in heaven, right? He's got a better thing to look forward to. And if there's something in your life that makes you covetous, you say, I've got to set my affection on something. If I have to have a house here in Ireland, I'm going to, I'm going to look forward to my house in heaven. And that fixes this thing. Now, going on to this way, he says, put off anger and put on bowels of mercies. That's a direct connection. Anger is where I don't want to give mercy, isn't it? So I got to be merciful. I'm not going to kill you today. <laughs> but bowels means there is so much compassion in there. Wrath? What is wrath? It's what you carry out when you're angry. I can be angry and still smile. If I am full of wrath, you know what I do? I pummel you. So when I am full of wrath, I try to be nice to you. And I have kindness. If there's malice, notice the three things. I have a humbleness of mind. Malice is what you think about, plan, and scheme to hurt somebody back. And instead of malice, it's a humbleness of mind, a meekness where you don't think of yourself. It is a quietness where you don't even think about the problem and you put up with it. Long-suffering. When you've got things and all you're doing is scheming, I'm going to bring them down. I'm going to hurt them. I can't. I can't even think about it. I don't, I don't want to think about how they hurt me. I don't want to even remember it. That's how I put it away. Is that cool? If I've got blasphemy where my life is going to be a dishonor to Jesus Christ, I'm going to have to put up with other people. Because what did Jesus do when people slammed him and they slapped him and they ripped his beard? What did he do? He put up with it. He forbear. He forbear means to put up with. Filthy communication come out of your mouth. Somebody says something evil to you. How do you normally respond? You say something evil back. That's what I do. Don't look at me like you don't do that. But instead of, just go ahead and forgive them. Just say, I, don't, don't say, I forgive you for that because that's just going to aggravate them more. <laughs> Here's some more for you. Just forgive them. Forgiving one another and then lying. Look at what he compares with lying. He connects lie, not one to another. Okay. Just love them. Just love them. So lying usually is to cover why we've done wrong or whatever, instead of lying, have charity, which is selfless love. You just go ahead and love the other person. And he goes on, and here in Colossians chapter um, 3, uh, verse 14, and above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. It actually holds everything together in the universe. Believe me, 
it, 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 everything the devil's trying to destroy, charity holds together. Verse 15, then you can let the peace of God rule in your hearts. When I'm angry, who's ruling in my heart? The devil is. When I'm full of wrath, when I have malice, when I've got fornication in my lifestyle, when I've got unclean th- thoughts in my mind, when I'm loving the wrong things, who's in charge? Satan is. And I've given him charge. But when, when these things are in there, then I can, the peace of God is ruling in my heart. And let the peace of God rule in your heart to the which also ye are called in one body and be ye what? Thankful. So, <clears throat> when you're angry, are you thankful? No. You're full of wrath. When you're covetous, are you thankful? No. You know why you're not thankful? Because all those things are in play, but when these things are in play, you will get to the place where no matter how much somebody's hurt you, no matter how much you don't have, no matter how much problems you have, the peace of God is ruling and you're able to be thankful. And by the way, next time anger hits you, it comes up and wrath and malice and all you're doing is you're obsessed with hurting somebody back or revenge or whatever, and, and you remember this message, you remember, I've got to humble myself. I've got to quiet myself. I've got to stop thinking of what this other person is doing to me. Remember, Lord, that, that person is teaching me to mortify that anger so I can be like Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Bingo. I know you won't do that when you're in the anger mode, but through it all, you'll go, thank you. Okay. All right. Why would you do any of this? I say it this way. Why would you set aside anger when you usually really get such a high from it? Why would you put away uh, wrath and lies? A lot of people live on lies. You know that? I mean, I really, when I was in America, I'm from the South. The only lies that people told was when they said you looked good. And you're great. You look great today. They were lying. But people told the truth. I came to Ireland, and I'm telling you, I find very few people who know how to speak the truth. Is that true with you? Do you think there's a problem here with lying? I find it. I mean, it's just, they, they just, there's, it's just the ethos here. All right, here's the point. Um, somebody who's just so used to lying and, and saying what people want and lying about everything, how are you going to replace that? The only way you're going to do that is when you mortify it and you say, I hate lying. And then you replace it. And, and, and the reason why you would say, I've got to get lying under control. I've got to get pornography under control. I've got to get wrath under control. I've got to get malice under control. I have to. Five or six reasons. Number one, because it is against God. Go to 1 John 2. You can leave Colossians. Go to 1 John 2, 15. Let's see. Uh, <clears throat> I know I'm taking a little bit longer, but let's finish this. Gina, if you'll read 1 John 2, 15. Wow, look at verse 16. Read that as well.
So he commands us not to love the world, neither things in the world, because it's not of God, and it actually is against God. All these things, when, when we are angry, who are we protecting? Ourselves. When we are dealing with lust, who are we catering to? Ourselves. And that is not a God. It actually is very offensive to God. Secondly, because our old nature itself is against God. Uh, go to Romans chapter 8. We'll just look at that one real quick. Romans chapter 8, Dina. And verse 5 and 6. <clears throat> Okay, so the reason everything about me, my old nature, goes against God, it goes the opposite direction of God's spirit, and it leads to death, it is even against God. I, uh, Galatians 5.17 says, uh, uh, I have to walk in the spirit. I can't walk in the flesh because my flesh is against God. Number three, because of the coming wrath of God. Now, we didn't go there, but in Colossians chapter 3, it says this, this, and let me, instead of me quoting it, I better make sure I get it right. Colossians chapter 3 says this. Verse 6 says, For which things sake, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, these things sake, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. You know why you better deal with, with, that sin in your life, and better take it very seriously, and why anything in your life that, that keeps dominating your life and be, having dominion over that life, why it has to be dealt with is because you'll be in trouble with God. God's wrath is against a world full of that, and you say, well, I'm saved. Yeah, you're saved, but you'll die early. You'll die miserable. If there's the wrath of God is coming, you shouldn't be mincing with something that has God's Wrath on it. Number four, because it hurts you. Every time you're messing with anger, guess what it's doing to your blood pressure? Guess what it's doing to your bone structure? Guess what it's doing to your brain cells? Every time you're living in anger, guess what it's doing to your sleeping patterns? Guess what it's doing to your thought patterns? Guess what it's doing to your digestion? Guess. It's killing you. It's killing you. So every, I'm telling you, every single one of these sins, as pleasurable as some of them may seem, actually are against you and they're destroying you. They hurt you. <clears throat> and it hurts Christianity. Can you imagine, Nita was talking about, you know, uh, Owen and, and uh, uh, Grania coming in. Man, everybody's so friendly. Well, can you imagine if they came to the church and everybody was angry? Everybody was ma full of malice and wrath. I mean, Think about, think about if we had the attitude of ISIS. We would, does that? Listen, do, do some Christians have the wrong attitude about God? Wrong attitude about people. There's a group, they call themselves Baptists. They're not Baptists at all. But they call Westboro Baptist Church uh, over there. I don't know where they are. Kansas, somewhere like that. They give Christianity a bad name, don't they? Uh, you don't need to know about them, but they 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 go to funerals of American soldiers and they say, "God damn America!" and "God hates America," and they stand out there at soldiers' funerals and they mock the death of that soldier who gave his life. And and the point is, you know, I've had people say, 
Are you like that Westboro Baptist? That's a shame. They shouldn't even call themselves Christian. They shouldn't call themselves Baptist. Nothing. But they bring shame to the cause of Christ. And when I have any of these characteristics in me, it shames Christianity. And lastly, listen, I must, I have to put off those old things so I can put on the new thing. So, can I be, Kevin, can I be a, can I show, um, uh, can I show kind anger? <laughs> All right, let's try to mix these up here. Can I have humble malice? Okay. Can I have forgiving filthiness come out of my mouth? No. Uh, let me get it. Let me see if I can make something else. Can I have um, uh, unclean bowels of mercy? No. Uh, you know what I'm doing there? One of them's got to go off for me to be able to have the other one. Does that make sense? One of them's got to go. And whatever you deal with on a day-by-day basis, you will wear one or the other. Tomorrow morning, Bill's going to get up, he's going to get dressed, he's going to go out and sell more electricity, right? Isn't that right? That's what you, you sell, electricity, right? <laughs> it's all right. And, and he's going to go, but he's going to put on clothes, and, and, but can you imagine? Can you imagine? Him deciding to go and knock on the door, and the person saying, saying, um, he says, hi, I'm with uh, Electric Iron. Where are you with? Energia. I'm with Energia, and I tell you what, we've got a great offer. If you will switch today, and she spits at you. They do that all the time. And she says, uh, she says, uh, I don't know, just a woman there, and she says, go away. I, 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 I can't believe you, you interrupted me. I was feeding the baby. And Bill goes, well, I didn't want to help you anyway. <laughs> not going to get him any sales, is he? He has to put off that desire to retaliate, doesn't he? Amen? Have you ever been mistreated at the door? <laughs> and you got to put off that old nature that says, I want to retaliate. And you just are sweet and you say, God bless you, bye-bye. Amen. All right. The question is this. We can mortify the flesh. The question is, will we? It's not a question of can I. not a question of can I get the victory over anger. What do you have to do first before you get the victory over anger? Well, before I even deal with the problem of anger, before I even deal with the problem of wrath or malice or blasphemy or filthy words out of my mouth, i got to look into my life and say, is there fornication? Is there lust? Am I battling in another zone? I want to deal with my laziness or my, my uh, I don't know, any kind of what we call secondary sins compared to these five big ones. Is there something left over from my old life that needs to thoroughly die? I deal with that. Then I can deal with anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, evil speaking, and lying. Does that make sense? All right. Okay, any questions? And we got to finish. <clears throat> yes, sir, Brother Dan.
Notice what his adultery did to his family when he gave in to that fornication. It, it destroyed his life and destroyed his family's life. The only way for Absalom to deal with his bitterness and his wrath and his anger that he took out on his father was for him to deal with the, the sin and be able to put his father's sin under the blood. See, he still, the, the, the trouble with Amnon and Tamar and stuff was all a domino effect of, of David's sin. And David didn't deal with it. So Absalom was forced to deal with it, and he didn't deal with it. So there was no way on earth for, him to, for Absalom to deal with his bitterness and his desire for revenge until he was able to look at his dad and forgive his dad and put under the blood and, him, and Absalom, his dad, was on another level. Absalom became in bondage to all these things because of fornication in the home. And there are times when our sins mess up our children. And they don't know why they're so messed up. They got the answer, but they need to be able to say, whatever there was, I resist it, I mortify it, I am my own man. I want to deal with my own sins. I don't want to be carrying daddy or mommy's sin. I need to make sure my anger, my wrath, is not connected to their sin. Right? That's a very deep thought, but I'm telling you, when you start to look in your say, created me a clean heart, you may have to look at your dad. That I'm not using you as an illustration, but me, I may have to look at my dad and say, I cannot hate my dad anymore. I must break that curse, that bondage that maybe my dad's sin is influencing me. I want to be free from it so I can deal with my own anger and my own wrath. Does that make sense? you understand where I'm going? That's how come this process is very enlightening. All of a sudden you go, you know what, my anger, I can trace back to maybe past sins, and i got to just break from that and, and, and say, I know or I don't know, but I put it under the blood and I now want to deal with my own anger, not my dad's. I want to deal with my own sins, and I want to mortify them by putting those things away. And that is a choice by faith that any Christian can make and can walk away free. All right? Did you have your hand up? Are you stretching? There, Ben. The what? Well, there's loads of sins. I don't think Paul was listing all the sins. He was giving general key lists. Um, so, uh, but uh, what, I, what, I, what I think I was showing you was um, uh, when I listed all of them, I found a connection across them that seemed to work because Paul says, put off these and put on these. And they seem to work. They work for me. Okay, is that, is that what you're asking about, that list? Yes, okay. All right. Kevin, did you have your hand up? I'm sorry. Okay. Yes, sir, Paul. I think, well, what happens is this. Uh, if you'll go to Ephesians chapter 4, I'll show you the process. Ephesians chapter 4. 
And again, Paul's not actually showing any sequence or anything. But he says in verse 31, 431, let all bitterness, that's the last one, and wrath, that's second, that's second from the last, and anger, third from the last, clamor, that's evil speaking, that's yelling, and evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. So yes, it begins with what you think about. And then it turns into what you say. And then it turns into raising your voice and as you're saying it loud, clamor. And then it turns into anger. And then it turns into wrath, what you carry out when you're anger. And then bitterness is how you become and you live that way. That's the sequence of events. Okay? Is don't reach. Don't, don't get into the place where all you're doing is thinking about how you've been hurt. That's the worst thing, because that's the beginning of the end. Wrath is what you do when you're angry, yes. Yes, that's wrath. That's right. Okay. These are all things... Isn't it funny? The first century had the same problems the 21st century does. All right, we better stop and pray. Father, I thank you that we get to challenge ourselves as I have been challenged. And uh, God, you gave us a very strong tool to use. And it's mortifying. It's it's, um, putting off. And it ought to be because we want to put on Forgive us where we are fine and happy in the place of of fornication. Where we're fine and happy in the place of lust. Forgive God us where we're fine and happy in the place of anger, wrath, bitterness, where we don't care that we're wrong. I pray that it would be in our hearts that we would say we hate what we are and what we've become because of sin, and we yearn to replace it with right things. And as we reckon our old man to be dead, the first thing is, as Brother Tony was saying, we're going to have to realize there's a problem, and then decide it's from this moment on, it is dead. It is part of the old man that died. And then help us to put on the new man. Help us to act out the life of Christ, in the place of all these other feelings, all these other reactions, by faith, God. Help us to do it all by faith. We go soul winning by faith. We give by faith. Help us to live and react by faith, too. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're